It's been nearly a decade since New Yorkers approved a constitutional amendment allowing for up to seven casino licenses to be issued for the Empire State. And with state officials poised to hand out the final three licenses to operators in the New York City area, we're going to take a look at the impact of the four upstate casinos, which were the subject of a recent study from the State Comptroller's Office. The report looks specifically on tax revenues brought in by the facilities, which are located in the Capital Region, Hudson Valley, Southern Tier, and Finger Lakes. To discuss these findings and more, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Maria Dulles, Deputy Controller for Budget and Policy Analysis. Welcome back to the show, Maria. Hi, Dave. So there's a variety of different takeaways one might have from this report, depending on their interests and what they might gravitate toward. But is there a clear headline for you from this report? Yes, I think so. The report, just to, to take a step back and show what we've covered, I mean, this office has been analyzing gaming and its revenues um, from the state perspective for a few years now. And this report takes a deeper look at what the impact has been specifically of the casinos licensed to operate upstate as it relates to local governments. So I think there are a few findings that are of interest. And one of them is that in 2022, while the casino saw a rebound in their revenues, they were still not meeting the initial revenue estimates that they produced when they filed for their licenses. So they're behind what the projections were when the licenses were issued. Second, for flowing from that, they were not meeting the projected tax revenues either. And there are a couple of reasons for that. And then finally, the report takes a look at what the impact has been on local governments and their revenue bases and sources and finds that for most of the counties and local governments that benefit, it's really just a marginal gain. But for the host communities, the municipalities or the town in which the casinos are cited, there has been some benefit that's a little bit more significant. Well, in terms of lagging behind projected tax revenues, how far off the mark are the facilities, at least three of the four facilities? So it seems that the facilities are about attaining about 50 to 60% of their initial revenue projections. So that's quite a significant difference in recognition of the impacts of the pandemic, which did affect revenues. Remember that there were restrictions on facilities like this. And as as they impacted the casinos, they lasted um, well into 2021 in June. And in recognition of that, the state made some changes to the tax rates on the gross gaming revenues that are projected to help the casinos sort of meet profitability expectations and continue to operate. That was one reason why while some of the revenues have come back from the casinos, the tax projections were, for the most part, except for Tioga Downs, still not being met in 2022. Well, you mentioned the impact of the pandemic, but it's my understanding that some of these projections were for pre-pandemic. So these facilities, all four of them actually, were falling short prior to 2020, right, for 2019 goals? That's right. So when we looked initially in 2019, they were only meeting about two thirds of the projections for revenues. And then, you know, with the impact of the pandemic and the decline, there was a comeback and a sort of bounce back there, but it still did not meet the 2019 projections. So sort of delayed growth in the revenue, if you will. Your report at least appears to focus solely on the gaming 
tax revenue generated by casinos. Why is that the focus when when these casinos were initially pitched back in 2013, 2014, and, and selected in 2015, they were viewed as these upstate destinations that were supposed to be more than just uh, gambling operations. So why not consider the tax revenues more holistically, whether it's the non-gambling casino tax revenue or just tax revenue from operations that might have only sprung up because of the casinos, whether it's adjacent restaurants or golf courses or other amenities? A few points on this. I think, you know, one, as the controller's office, and and this was done by my colleagues in the local government accountability division, we have the hard numbers in-house about the revenues and budgets and finances of these local governments. And we can look at that and, and know we have really hard, good data, right, to track those trends. I think it's much more complicated and the assumptions are really myriad when you start to branch out from that and say, how has this impacted, you know, broader economic trends? And and the other point that I think is really important here is, are these casinos or any sort of establishment like this generating new economic activity or pulling dollars that would have been spent by a consumer somewhere else at a restaurant, at an arena, at a stadium, and bringing them into the casino? Would, you know, which again is not generating growth, it's just move, merely moving dollars around between the industry. One thing that we have looked at, in addition to just the general revenue generation, is jobs. And so, you know, we see that the, the, the casinos were not initially meeting their job expectations, and that during the pandemic, they lost about 3,800 jobs, and they have not regained those jobs um, lost during the pandemic. So, you know, the, the growth might be there and consumers might be going, um, but it, it, it's not producing jobs at the level the casinos were expected to. And that's, you know, in the context of the state, the rest of the state economy and jobs holistically being almost fully recovered from pre-pandemic levels. For listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're talking about a report from the State Comptroller's Office, which examined the tax revenue locally generated by four upstate casinos. And our guest is Maria Doulis, the Deputy Comptroller for Budget and Policy Analysis. So the period that your office looked at between 2017 and 2022 includes the advent of online sports wagering, which has been a big win for the state's coffers. But did you find that it's made a difference whether the online component or the in-person aspect of sports gambling has made much of a difference for the casinos and their host communities? It did reduce in-house sports wagering at these facilities by 66%. So it's a significant decline, but really points to the fact that there are substitution effects between these various forms of gambling. And then, of course, as it relates to the local governments, there's no local portion of the tax that goes to local governments from mobile sports betting, but the local governments do get something from in-house sports wagering at these casinos. So as these opportunities are expanded, again, there's a lot of substitution going on between where that gaming or gambling dollar, if you will, is being expended. Another change to the landscape during the period you looked at has to do with the tax rates that some of the casinos in upstate New York pay with state policymakers agreeing to essentially lower the tax rates. Do you look at that solely from a lost revenue perspective, or do you try to take a more holistic 
glance at that and think about it in terms of what the lower tax revenue means for the operation's bottom line and their ability to continue operating and continue generating tax revenue at all or invest into other avenues that might generate tax revenue. How do you think about the type of issue? Well, in this report, we clearly identify it as one of the reasons that tax projections were not met. I think there is a broader question about gaming and taxation of the various forms of gaming we have in this state, which, you know, compared to other states, we have a lot of different types of games and we generate a lot of revenue and we generate more on a per person basis. While this conversation often gets, you know, wrapped up in sort of what are the broader uh, economic impacts of these facilities, I think there's also really a question and Controller DiNapoli has been really strong on, on pointing this out that in our quest to expand and promote these games, you know, are we doing enough to address what the downstream impacts are for people who may, you know, either develop an addiction to gambling or the sort of casual gambler whose addiction is expanded or enhanced? Because, you know, particularly with mobile sports betting, you're no longer tethered to a destination. You do not need to go to that casino to place a bet. It, you know, it's on your phone, in the palm of your hand. And the research is very clear uh, that the ease and accessibility and the privacy of being able to do that, um, it, you know, there are higher rates of gambling among those who, uh, who choose to gamble in that form. So I think you're right, Dave, in saying like, you know, is it only about tax revenues? No, there are these other dimensions. And one of them is absolutely the social dimension in terms of people and their relation to gaming and, and addiction, um, as well as impacts of these facilities on communities more broadly. Well, sticking with the evolving nature of the gambling landscape, how, if at all, do you think this report should inform either the expectations or, or planning around the final three downstate casino licenses, which could possibly be awarded in the next 12 months? So I think the first sort of takeaway from this is that we really need to kick the tires hard on any assumptions and projections made about the economic impacts, local governments that stand to benefit, um, and, and the MTA, it, you know, really need to be cautious about how they're budgeting and thinking about these revenues. Um, you know, you don't want to uh, have a, a placeholder or uh, have a dedicated stream for something that fund important services only to have that not materialize. Um, and then I think that the second point also in the financial management space is to the extent some of these revenues produce a real upshot for a smaller local government, right? Because if the facility is sited, say, in Long Island and it's it's hosted in a specific town, um, it, it might be wise to place some of those funds in reserve rather than use them to fund recurring expenses. And, and one of the reasons we, and this is, again, stepping back and looking at this holistically, is that there's often sort of a, a, a spur and a one-shot um, but that the growth in these revenue trends overall is not is not strong. So I think, you know, there's a lot of information here for local government officials and policymakers to look at um, and learn from and use it to, you know, as they consider how these uh, casinos cited in their communities may impact their the finances of their towns and municipalities and counties. Well, finally, the report notes the emergence of additional gambling options in the wake of the upstate casinos 
being placed where they are and getting up and running. So how, if at all, are you anticipating the three downstate casinos when they're up and running will impact the existing for upstate casinos? Is it the case that these are basically just convenience gambling operations and they're not necessarily attracting people who might otherwise go to New York City? Or is there an expectation that the New York City casinos will eat into operations in the Hudson Valley or uh, in Schenectady in the capital region? Well, I, I, I don't have a view or any specific, you know, special insight into that question. Um, I think when the, you know, voters approved the amendment and policymakers, you know, they made a conscious decision to cite the upstate casinos first to allow them to be well established before bringing gaming, you know, downstate, which I think sort of indicates a little bit about what, what you're saying there. But I think, yes, you know, to the extent, again, that there are new facilities opened. It's just another competitor for that gambling dollar. Well, we've been speaking with Maria Doulis. She is a deputy controller for budget and policy analysis. Maria, thank you so much for lending us your time and expertise. Always a pleasure, Dave. Thank you. business agency or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.